We're going to walk through the book of 1 John. This verse by verse. This morning I'm going to give an overview of the book. But um, this morning the title of the sermon is, is Why is there a problem? I'll tell you where that comes from. John in his letter, 1 John, gives six reading, reasons for his writing. And it's important to John that believers know for sure that they're saved. Amen. And he's writing to people, and never forget this, as we're walking through 1 John, never forget this. He is writing to people who are already saved. He's writing to people who already believe in Jesus. And so this raises the question, if they already believe in Jesus, what is the problem? Why do we have a whole book of the Bible dedicated to making sure people who already believe in Jesus know for certain that they have eternal life. It must be a pretty important topic. We're going to treat it that way. Why is there a problem though? Why do we misunderstand our salvation? Well, this morning and every Sunday morning through this series, I want to remind you that some people think they're saved and they're not. Some people think they're not saved and they are. Some people want to be saved, but they don't know how. And some people try to be saved, but they make up their own rules. And so John provides us in this letter six main problems that cause us to lose confidence in Jesus. And when these things happen after we're saved, these six things, they happen to everybody when they happen, we lose confidence in Jesus, and therefore we misunderstand our salvation. So this morning, I just want to overview the, the letter of 1 John. The six things that he tells us happen to people after they're saved. And he makes these statements in the forms of, I am writing these things to you because... But in the letter of 1 John, he says... What happens when, after someone is saved, possibly, is their joy is not what it could be. Their obedience is not what it should be. Their memory is not what they need it to be. Their understanding is not what God wants it to be. Their teachers are not as trustworthy as they want them to be. And their belief is not as enduring as it must be. So these are the six things John writes as an overview explaining why this book exists. Why is there a problem? Let's tackle number one. One thing that can happen after you're saved. Our joy is not what it could be. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. John says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What does it look like to have complete joy? Well, you remember the parable of the man who buys a field. I don't have this on the screen, but listen to this parable. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and then reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has so that he can buy the field. That's complete 
joy. I want you, Jesus. And everything else is cast aside. Joy over the treasure. John says sometimes after we're saved, our joy is not what it could be. And this is a problem. Now imagine this same man after determining in his heart to sell everything so that he can buy the field. He sells everything. He buys the field. And then with the treasure in his hand, he thinks, wow, this treasure isn't what I thought it would be. I didn't realize Jesus would command me to read the Bible. I didn't realize Jesus would command me to share the gospel with others. All of a sudden, going to church isn't as exciting as it used to be. Quitting that is not as easy as I thought it would be. Doing that is harder than I thought it would be. And our joy, all of a sudden, isn't what it could be. We have a tendency to look back. Remember Lot's wife? She looked back. Remember the children of Israel in Egypt after God had redeemed them from slavery? They said, oh, Moses, if only we could sit around the campfire and eat that meat we used to eat when we were slaves and being beaten in Egypt. Sometimes our joy is not what it could be because we have a tendency to look back. We have a tendency like a dog to return to our own vomit. David experiences this kind of loss of joy when he sins with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, he, he prays, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation because he had lost it. We struggle with our salvation because we forget what we've been saved from, church. That temptation before us just looks too attractive. The crisis in our life is just too overwhelming. The Christian life, when this happens after we're saved, the Christian life just begins to feel dry, lackluster, non-glamorous, and hard. John says, I want your joy to be complete. I want you to hold this treasure in your hand. And I want you to never get over it. I want it to never lose its luster. I want you to never stop getting excited about Jesus. I want to remind you this morning, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves disagreeing with Jesus about how valuable our salvation is. And our confidence in Jesus lessens. Well, there's a second thing that can happen after you're saved. Our obedience is not what it should be. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John writes, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
I want to remind you this morning, church, after we're saved, we have a tendency to build sin blinders. Things that are disgusting to God over time somehow become acceptable to us. We construct holiness buffets. We begin to redefine what it means to be holy and what it means to be right in right standing with God. We evaluate ourselves not based on the lens of God's word, but we evaluate things through the lens of our own appetites. And we lose the ability to discern between what is holy and what is sin. John says this causes us to get confused about our salvation. We stop pursuing holiness. We stop trying to improve. We stop trying to become more like Christ. And instead, we try with all of our might to become more like the world. We stop trying to be pleasing to Jesus Christ. And instead, with all of our might, we start trying to become pleasing to the world. Don't hear me wrong. It's not, it's not wrong to be pleasing to the world. A Christ follower is, is a pleasant aroma. Unless the one smelling the aroma hates Jesus and then it stinks. Amen or oh me. My point is we settle into a life where we're disobeying God. And we don't even know it. Our obedience isn't what it should be. I want to read Psalm 101. David wrote this psalm. Listen to this and just let it be a mirror in your own home. I will sing of mercy, mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house. With a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I think David would monitor what comes through his television and computer and phone and tablet. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy the wicked of the land that I may cut off all evildoers from the city of the Lord. Here's the powerful thing that John is saying in 1 John chapter 2 as he writes this letter. All saved people continue to struggle with brokenness and sin. Amen or oh me. All of us will at some point struggle with this list. That's why he's written the letter. But if we sin, John says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And John wants to, us to work hard 
keeping ourselves in agreement with Jesus about what we need to change in our lives. Jesus deals with sin. He wants us to deal with it. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves agreeing with Jesus. Excuse me. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves disagreeing with Jesus about what sin is. And when we do that, our confidence in Jesus lessens. There's a third thing John says might happen after we're saved. Our memory is not what we need it to be. John's saying, I'm writing this to you because our memory is not what we need it to be. Look with me, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 in 1 John. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Sometimes believers experience doubt about their salvation. Sometimes, this is the truth, sometimes we don't feel saved. John reminds us that sometimes we have a memory problem. And in this text that I just read, John reminds the folks he's writing to not to forget three crucial things. He says, don't forget these three things. Don't forget that our sins have been forgiven, not excused. There's a difference between Jesus excusing our sin and forgiving our sin. When Jesus forgives our sin, he commands us to sin no more. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. Just keep on sinning. My blood will cover it. John says, don't forget the second thing. Don't forget that the enemy has already been conquered. John says, you have conquered the evil one. What does he mean by this? Well, sometimes Christians can get kind of paranoid about what the enemy is doing in their life. You ever been there? John's saying, when you turned to Jesus, you rejected the enemy and you conquered him. You no longer have to fear Satan. Remember the promise James gives us in chapter 4, verse 7 of James? He says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. John says, don't forget that. He says, don't forget a third thing. Don't forget that only through the Bible can we know God. John says, God's word remains in you. Because you're committed to knowing God's word, you're increasing in your knowledge of God. And here's the point. Sometimes we forget that it's only through our knowledge of the Bible that we can remember these three things. Step away from the Bible, forgetfulness comes. Brother, quickly. I speak from experience, unfortunately. Anytime we're not careful, we can find ourselves disagreeing with Jesus about the value of knowing God's word. And when this happens, our confidence in Jesus lessens. There's a fourth thing that John says might can happen after we're saved. He says, I'm writing you to these things because our understanding is not what God wants it to be. Look with me at chapter 2 in 1 John, verses 20 through 23. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 
I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. The Holy Spirit, church, I want to remind you, has been given to us so that we may know the truth. Our problem is, though, that sometimes we don't train ourselves to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. We invite other voices into our lives the same way Eve invited the voice of Satan in the garden. Here's the point I think John's making here. We spend less time training our ear to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we spend more time listening to the many voices in the world. This causes us to make less of Jesus. John says here in this text, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And I want to remind you this morning, church, it can happen after you're saved. They, they form a, a, opinions about Jesus by listening to the wrong voice. And before they know it, they're following someone they call Jesus, but who isn't Jesus at all. Sometimes we have an understanding problem. And rather than listening to the Holy Spirit, we allow the world to chip away at our view of Jesus. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves disagreeing with Jesus about who he really is. And our confidence in him lessens. There's a fifth thing John tells us might happen after we're saved. He says, I'm writing to you these things because our teachers are not as trustworthy as we want them to be. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. He says, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this point, but here, John points out that there are many who are attempting to deceive the church. Amen or oh me. I want to remind you this morning that who you allow to teach you is one of the most important decisions you make. And we live in a day where we have access to every teaching under the sun. And one of the reasons our church spends a lot of time focusing on every member reading through the Bible over and over for the rest of their lives is that this is the only way that you can develop the ability to sniff out a false teacher if you know the Bible for yourself. Now remember this, never forget it. Here's what John's saying in this text. False teachers always teach you that you can't possibly know the truth without listening to them. It's the mark of a false teacher. God's servants, though, continually teach you that you do not need them. God has given you everything you need in the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And even if you had no one to teach you after you're saved, you can progress in your faith if you commit yourself to know the Bible. Sometimes we get confused about salvation because we make decisions about God not based on what we study for ourselves, but based on what we hear others say that they have studied. Many Christians spend their time listening to sermons but never read through the Bible themselves. This is a recipe for disaster. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves disagreeing with Jesus about what he teaches And our confidence in Jesus lessens. 
I want to move into a time of response, but in doing that, I want to share the final thing, the sixth thing that John says can happen after we're saved. He says, I'm writing to you these things so that you will know. Because our belief is not as enduring as it must be. Look with me at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I want to remind you this morning, church, sometimes people feel like they're saved, but they're not. And sometimes people feel that they're not saved, but they are. Sometimes people want to be saved, but they don't know how. And sometimes people try to be saved, but they make up their own rules. John's main message in the letter, 1 John, is this. He wants your confidence in Jesus to grow so that whatever happens in your life, you will never doubt that Jesus will keep his promise to return. You know, we start out believing in Jesus, but if we're not careful, we can find that the world has chipped away at our belief that Jesus really is coming back. How do you know if that's happened? Well, are you living like Jesus is going to come back tomorrow? Are you longing for Jesus to come back today? It's not just a cute saying. It really is all about Jesus. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the boss. Jesus is God. He is creator. Jesus is our king. He's master with all authority, with all power, and with all wisdom. Jesus purchased our freedom by dying for our sin on the cross. Jesus demonstrated his power by resurrecting from the grave on the third day. Jesus will return not as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king, leading the armies of heaven, of angels, to execute judgment on all unrighteousness. All those who have rejected Jesus will be thrown into hell to suffer for eternity. But those who submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord will spend eternity in heaven never to suffer again. And on that day, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's really going to happen. Jesus is not just a friend. Jesus is not just an affectioned love. Jesus is not just a savior. Jesus is Lord. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is preeminent. He is Lord. According to John, church, we struggle with salvation. And we struggle because we lose confidence in Jesus. Several things contribute to this. John lays out six things, and we're going to study them in detail over the next weeks. But John wants us to work hard to grow in our confidence in Jesus. 
And I want you to know as we, as we march through 1 John, my goal is not to convince you that you're not saved. That's not John's goal. John's goal is that you will grow in your confidence in Jesus. That if it's possible, if you have had your confidence in Jesus chipped away by various things, during this study in 1 John, we want that confidence to be restored. John says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. And by knowing that we have eternal life, John wants us to live like it. I want you to spend a few moments praying. You fill out your response card and bring it to the altar. Let's just spend some time responding to the Lord as a